Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. Um, before uh, I preach, I just in worship tonight, God um, showed me a picture of um, the tide coming into the shore, the tide coming into the beach, and showed me people on the beach uh, you know, getting their gear and um, starting to move their gear out the way. In fact, I saw sandbags on the shore, on the beach, and instead of putting sandbags up because the, the waters were coming in, the flood waters were coming in, these people were moving sandbags away so that the water could come. And God gave me the interpretation, and he says, it's not what you add to public church that will grow the church, it's the obstacles you take away that will grow this house. It's not what you add. Everyone's always asking the question, what do I need to do? What do I need to add for for God to grow this ministry, for God to grow this house, for God to bring more fruitfulness in my life? Do I, I need to do what that church does down the road and that conference does over there? Do I need to do what that business person does and that preacher does? What do I need to add to grow? And God is coming to you, public church. He's coming to you as a leadership team. He's coming to you as a church plan. He's coming to you in these early formative stages. And I believe the reason why He has sent me here these last two times over 12 months is not for you to begin to ask the question, what do we need to add to grow? But what is it that you need to take away to remove the blockages to the rivers of living water flowing through this house? The rivers of living water. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. We sometimes approach church life like, you know, Jesus is reluctant to build his church. Like, you know, we've got to twist his arm and we've got to change his mind. But Jesus is the one, not the pastor, not the national president, not anybody else. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's absolutely committed to this house being exceedingly fruitful. He's absolutely committed to building the church through your life. And if you would align your heart, your life, your resource, your talents, your abilities to the purposes of God. Sometimes we're trying to get God to bless what we're doing rather than us getting involved in what God has already said He's going to bless. If you're in business, align your business, align your finances with the business of the church, the purpose of the church, and watch that thing take off. Whatever talent or ability you have, align it with the heart of God, what God's heart is, what His dream is, what He wants to do. Let me tell you, wherever God finds someone that aligns their heart, their faith, their talents, their abilities and resources with the house of God, there you will find fruitfulness. Stop thinking, what do I, I'm, not, I'm insufficient, I'm inadequate. I've got to add something to me to make me better, more appealing, more attractive. No, it's not what you add. It's what you remove that actually will bring the blessing. Don't pollute the rivers of living water in this house by adding things that shouldn't be here. Don't contaminate the, the, the water. Don't add ingredients that are not a part of what God is cooking up. He's the master chef, right? 
He's the one who's building his house. He's the architect. We're not the architects. He is. We join Jesus in in the process of outworking what is in his heart. And the Lord told me to tell you there's a difference between being clever and being obedient to the commission. Lots of people in, in the kingdom, lots, what our flesh wants to do, our flesh wants to be clever. How clever can we be? And it's rooted in pride, it's fueled by pride, it's motivated by pride, and it's, and it's manifest through our insecurities because we want people to like us and we want people to see what we do and, and acknowledge that and applaud that, and that gives us a sense of affirmation. But there's a whole lot of people in church land who are being clever, but not, they don't have a revelation of the commission. When you operate under commission and out of commission, clever takes care of itself because there is no one more clever than the Holy Spirit. There is no one more creative than the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is inherently involved, Genesis 1, in the creative process. What you need to do is realize it's not by might nor by power. In other words, it's not by how clever I am. It's not by my brilliant idea, it's by my connection and my obedience to the commission that the Holy Spirit has placed on my life. And when you begin to live and build relationship and, 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 and serve in church and disciple others out of that place of the rivers of living water and out of that place of commission, staying plugged into the source of fruitfulness. God is the gardener. You and I are the branches that stay connected to the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. You and I have got to just stay connected. And I just feel before we move, in fact, I could probably just jump on the plane right now and what you've just received would be enough to keep you going. But, but I'm telling you that God is coming to you and saying, don't think about, apply this personally as well as corporately, what it is that you're adding. Think about what do I need to remove What needs to get out of the way of my heart, my life, my ministry of this house so that what is in God's heart can become a reality? I really feel like as you move from 2018 to 2019, there is going to be a significant shift in the life of the church and um, visible, a visible shift in the life of the church. And I think God is going to give you leaders and, and the team here Uh, wisdom and grace to know what those shifts are. I've got some ideas and we'll share with them later, but I I, I do think that you need to prepare yourself and be expectant for some significant visible shifts of what God is going to do. And, And I don't know about you, but that should make us get excited, do some spiritual gymnastics and say, you know what? I'm a part of a move of God. I'm not just turning up to church. I'm not just pew sitting. I'm not just cheering. Pastors Cameron and Renee on, yay, yay, we're here at public church. No, I'm a part of something. You're a part of something that God is on the move. And so with that in mind, I want to preach for a few moments from Galatians chapter 6. And uh, I really, I had something else planned uh, the last few days. And then on the plane, God says, no, put that aside. How many of us know it's not thus says the run sheets, it's thus says the Lord. And so um, I'm I'm on the plane and God says, I want you to bring this. And I believe it's going to encourage and add to what's already been said. Galatians 6, 6 to 10 says this. One who is taught the word 
must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Another translation says, if we do not lose heart. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so this afternoon, I want to speak to you about the power to continue, the power to continue. Uh, Several years ago, uh, back in 2014, I completed the um, Melbourne Ironman Triathlon. And uh, I trained for like 15 months for this and got a coach, etc. And if you're not familiar with that event, it's a, a distance of 3.8 kilometer open ocean swim, 180 kilometer bike ride and a 42 kilometer marathon run. Needless to say, there was much weeping and gnashing of teeth in that event. And, uh, and so, you know, the day started fairly well. And uh, everyone's always excited on the, on the start line. Uh, and, and everyone's smiling. And, and uh, we got through the swim. I was just glad that I didn't get eaten by jaws in uh, the freezing cold temperatures of Port Phillip Bay in Melbourne. And uh, then we got onto the bike. And that seemed to be going very well. In fact, I was ahead of time. But then I got onto the marathon. And I got 25K into the marathon. And, and if anyone has ever done a long distance run knows there's a point where you hit the wall, where your body says, you know what, we don't like this anymore. Why do they call it fun runs? It's more like hurt runs or painful runs or weeping and gnashing of teeth runs. But, but, but at this point, I hit the wall. My body, my mind was saying, let's keep going. My body was saying, we're not moving anywhere. And so instead of running at a fairly brisk pace, I think it was about, you know, 440 pace, it went to about 720 pace. Literally, I was crawling per kilometer. And, and I'm like, you know, asking God right now for help. I, I'm, I'm starting to repent of sins I haven't even committed yet. That's taking prophetic ministry to a whole new level. I, I'm thinking up, I'm saying, God, I will go anywhere and do anything and preach to anyone. I'm thinking deepest, darkest Africa. I'm like, wherever I'll go, I'll do it. Just get me to the finish line. You see, the Bible uses the imagery of a race to describe life in the kingdom of God. All throughout the Bible, there are these different metaphors that help us understand. There's a metaphor of battle or armies. There's a metaphor of family. There's a metaphor of body, a church made up of a body in many parts. Well, also it uses athletic imagery of a race to help us understand the life of faith that we're called to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, don't you know, in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run to win. This is what I've discovered in life. A lot of people, even in the kingdom, are running, but not everyone is running to win. And if we're going to run to win, we've got to understand that we've got to cultivate a life skill. It's not inherent. It's not by default because you're born of the Spirit of God. It's a skill you develop in partnership with the Holy Spirit because it's a work or a fruit of the Spirit. It's called persistence. And persistence or perseverance or patience is a key theme throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 
Persistence, in fact, means the power to continue. A course of action in spite of difficulty and in spite of opposition. Now, every single one of us at some point hits the wall. If you haven't hit the wall yet, don't worry. Just hang around a bit longer in life. You will find at some point in your life, you will hit the wall. That's not being negative. That's not being fatalistic. It's being biblical. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have times of difficulty. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Interestingly, later in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul's talking about not losing heart. Everything to do with persistence has to do with the condition, the motivation of your heart. And so it's not whether or not we can avoid the wall, it's how we respond to the wall that reveals our faith for what it is. The problem with persistence is it's not popular in our culture. What's popular is quitting. Quitting has become an epidemic in our culture. Quitting, uh, you know, people quit marriages. Uh, just recently, just uh, uh, some friends of the family that, you know, my wife and I ma- uh, married, performed their wedding ceremony uh, many years ago, or in fact, not many years ago, even just a few years ago, young couples leaving each other, separating over the most trivial, insignificant issues, and you realize that what we see taking place in a lot of relationships and marriages is, is, is people giving up and quitting because they haven't found fundamentally understood that when they got married, they made a covenant with God and each other. They simply didn't just decide to hook up because it was a good idea. People quit their callings. People quit uh, believing in the authority of the Bible and the Word of God. People quit churches over trivial things. And I understand God arranges the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. Some of you have come from other churches. You're not to feel condemned if if you're here and planted here. God's called you here. So embrace it. But then don't just, you know, uh, walk away just because something doesn't, isn't to your palate or to your liking or to your tasting. Actually commit yourself to work through the tribulations and the walls of life. Because if you forsake or if you walk away from where God's planted you in that season, you miss out on the blessings and the reward that God wants to bring into your life. Now, I'm not saying that because I want a really great offering of Pastor Cameron, all right? I'm saying that because it's the Bible. Um, I think I, I say to people, if you're tired of starting over, stop quitting. Just stop quitting and persist. So we're always starting over. If you keep hitting the reset button, you miss out on the reward. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.35, don't throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. You have need of persistence so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see, we only persist to the depth of the substance of our faith. Little persistence, little substance. Great persistence, great substance. Hebrews 11.1 says faith is the substance. Your faith has a substance to it. And so you'll never know what the substance of your faith is until your faith comes under pressure. We don't know where your character's really at. We don't know where your faith, you can claim to live by faith all you want. 
But until God asks you to take a step of faith that requires total risk, total dependence, and you can mouth off faith all you want. But, but it's when pressure comes on your confession that we really see whether that confession is a reality in your heart, in your faith. The substance of your faith must be tested for its purity. And some of us are, are shocked when trials come our way. Well, I, you know, I, I thought I was a son and daughter of God, and I thought that meant that God is obligated to, like, protect me from trials and tribulations. And, and I, I came to public church this week, and I thought about giving into the offering, at least the thought counts, and, 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 and I lifted my arm at sort of half-mast, and, 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 and I, you know, I smile occasionally and make cups of tea for elderly people, and, 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 and I'm a good person. And so because I've performed my religious duties and vows, therefore God is obligated to protect me from the trials and tribulations of life. And when they come, we're like, God, where are you? God, don't you care about me? And, and, and God's response is, of course I love you. Of course I care. Don't you realize you live in a broken and fallen world? Don't you realize there's tribulations and troubles? I'm not just your savior to save you from sin and problems. I'm also your Lord, Lord of your ideology, Lord of your physiology, Lord of, of every ology there is. I am Lord of your life. And many of us relate to Jesus as savior, but we don't necessarily relate to Jesus as Lord. And we're raising, we're seeing a generation of Christians that being raised up that are great fans of Jesus, not necessarily followers. We cheer Jesus, we're fans of him, we turn up at the big events and we're there to be seen and, 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 and we're the cheerleaders, but when it comes to the lordship issue of following him in the hills, the valleys and everything in between, we go missing in action. It's like, where did that person go? Where, where do we go? And God is trying to build into us in the midst of the fiery trials. He doesn't send the fiery trials. Don't blame God for things Satan is responsible for in your life. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. Life in all of its fullness. Life. Why do we automatically, when things go pear-shaped, blame God? It's because we're bought into the lie that the enemy has tried to convince us that it's God's fault because, you know, God is the instigator of all this when in fact it's a work of the demonic realm coming against us. But, but in the midst of that fiery trial, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep moving forward in faith and, and we let our faith be tested. The Bible says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but rejoicing is not the default of my flesh. I, I don't want to rejoice when I face trials in my life. In fact, there was a movie several years ago that some of you might have seen or heard of called Jerry Maguire back in the day. And Tom Cruise has these issues with his wife who he started this new sports marketing company of athletes or management company of athletes. And at the end of the film, he ruins it for every married man in the world because he walks into the lounge room, looks at his wife and she's got 
got all of her, you know, friends and support crew telling her all the reasons why she should leave her husband. And he walks in and looks at her and says, you complete me. And all the ladies in the cinema, when my wife and I were watching this, they're all like, yes, Tom, you do complete me. And all the fellas are like, make me throw up. And, and from that day to now, it's ruined for everyone because every wife wants their man to look at them and say, you complete me. Well, that's not how it works. The next time you face a trial in your life, I want you to look at it and in your spirit say, you complete me. You say, have you lost your mind? What on earth are you talking about? Well, James 1, 2 and 4 says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. Here it is, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, our faith is like a muscle without resistance. It doesn't grow stronger. So we rebuke resistance and we get mad at resistance, but you don't realize it's the resistance that God is allowing, not sending, is allowing to help you rise up in your calling, in your purpose, and in your destiny and what God has for your life. You see, it's not the visible you have to persist in. It's the invisible. Anyone can persist in what they can see. It's the invisible. That's why Paul says, The one who sows to the flesh. What's the flesh? It's visible. It's temporary. It's transient. The one who sows to the flesh, what's visible, reaps corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, the invisible realm, not just talking about money, talking about how you live your life, the one who sows to the Spirit reaps eternal life. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. What's seen is transient. What's seen, even as you get a bit older, you start to realize this temporary temple and tent I'm in it is not permanent. It's temporary. I'm going to look after it. That's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's a tent. It's temporary. When I looked at my 59-year-old mother on her deathbed as she breathed her last breath, it brought an eternal perspective in that if I'm just living for what I see in the flesh, I am living for something that is temporary. But if I'm going to live for something that has more meaning and purpose than the temporary, I'm to understand that I've got to live a life with an eternal perspective, that I've got to sow to the things of the Spirit. What is unseen is what is eternal. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. What do we walk by faith in? In God's rhema-inspired word for this whatever season of our lives that we're in. I want to ask you tonight, do you have a word of God for this season of your personal journey in God? Do you have a word? Do you have a revelation? Do you have an awareness of what God is doing? What is the time in your life right now? Jesus said, uh, for, for this time, for this purpose, for this cause, I was born. Jesus understood his time. He understood his purpose. He understood his moment. And the Father wants you to know what is it on God's calendar for your life right now? What is God trying to say? What is God trying to do? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's a conviction in things not seen. And so when Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good, he's saying, don't grow weary in sowing to the Spirit. In sowing to the unseen realm 
in whatever gifts, abilities, and callings that God has called you to. Do you realize that Satan's weapon of mass destruction to the believer is weariness with the lack of visible fruit? He comes and he attacks pastors, leaders, business people, students, mums and dads, grandparents, sons and daughters with weariness over the lack of results. We give and we give and we give, but we don't see a breakthrough in our finances. We pray and we pray and we pray. We don't see the answers we're looking for. We invest ourselves and disciple that person two, three, four times a week, and we don't see any visible fruit. Not only that, they reject us, walk away, and we never see them again. And we get a hard, callous heart and say, I'll never sow into the unseen realm again. I'll never go again and do that again. Why? What does that happen? It's because weariness has crept in weariness has actually got into our spirit. Weariness grows when you can't see the reward for your effort. So how do you avoid weariness? Well, there's a story in in Iron Man folklore of a father and son team called Team Hoyt. The father was 70 years of age when his cerebral palsy disabled son decided he wanted to complete the Hawaii Ironman Triathlon to, to finish all those distances, swim, cycle, and run. The son, obviously, because he was disabled in his body and ha- had, had physical needs, could not do this by himself. So he asked his father, would his father train for the event and complete the race, pushing his son and carrying his son through each of the events? One of the most moving scenes that you'll see on YouTube, don't look it up now, later on, but that you'll see on YouTube is of this 70-year-old father swimming with a rope around his waist, dragging his cerebral palsy son in a rubber dinghy upon 3.8 kilometers in the Hawaii Ocean. Then when he gets to shore, picks his son up, carries him to the bike, puts him in a seat at the front of the bike, and then rides 180 kilometers, then picks up his son and carries his son to another device where he pushes his son and runs for 42 kilometers in a marathon. As he crosses the finish line, there are hundreds and thousands of people screaming their heads off. People are bawling, crying. I'm crying as I'm looking at this because I realize that's exactly what our heavenly Father has done for you and I. When we were disabled and broken in our spirit and could not save ourselves, what did he do? He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and live, to die, to rise again, to do something that we could not do in our own ability and our own strength. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And what is the key to avoiding weariness is to yoke yourself to your heavenly Father through Jesus. It's to yoke yourself to the presence of God every day. Why? Because Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What you can't do, I'll carry you through. What you, the desire there, the vision is there. You can't do that in your own strength, but I'm going to carry you. I'm going to take you somewhere. What does Isaiah 40, 31 say? Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but they that wait upon the Lord, literally means they that yoke themselves to God, will, not, will mount up with wings as eagles, will run and not grow weary, will walk and not be faint. And the reason why you mustn't grow weary in doing good is because public church, God has a due season coming for you. 
God has a due season for your personal life. He has a due season for your family. He has a due season for your business. He has a due season for this house. That's why you can't grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you will reap. Now, the million dollar question is, God, when is due season? And God answers by saying, due season is when your season is due. Uh, There are some things he refuses to give you details and insights on because our flesh will be tempted to try and control the outcome. And we will try and manipulate and control things that he wants to be the author and perfecter of and get all the glory for. I remember in a season of our ministry, back when we planted a church, led it for seven years, we planted with 13 people in a lounge room and no money. God blessed it in in just three years, over 400 people attending the church. 40% of the church was first-time believers, 2,000 square meters of space, et cetera, et cetera, the whole story. But I remember we got to that third year and everything plateaued for nearly two years. Nothing moved anywhere. Nothing shifted. I'm getting upset at God. I'm getting upset at the people. I'm getting upset at myself. And I said, God, why isn't the vision moving forward? Why aren't we seeing more fruit? What is that I've got to add? Or what is it that I've got to do to kickstart this thing into motion again? And the Lord spoke to me and said, son, worry more about the process and let me take care of the outcome. Well, you've got your eyes on the outcome, otherwise known as destination disease. Destination disease says, when we get to that size, or when I marry that person, or when I graduate this uh, degree, when I get this job, that's when life will really start. I mean, that's when I'll, I'll, I'll really have made it in life. When I buy that house, when I get that car, that's when life will start. Let me tell you, life is happening right now. You never get to any outcomes in life if you don't focus on process. So you've got to start to focus on the process of being obedient to the commission of what God's asked you to do now and let God take care of the outcome. We worry and are anxious about things we should not be. Sufficient for the day is its trouble. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about the outcome. The outcome will take care of itself. Focus on the process of what I've called you to do now, and I will take care of the other side. You see, due season comes when you reap a harvest from what you've already sown in the past. So if you haven't sown in the past, why are you expecting to reap today? We are in a generation of of people that expect to reap something they never sown for. So I'm going to have the big house, I'm going to have the big life, I'm going to have the big relationship, but they've never sown for it. But God will never deny his universal laws of sowing and reaping. The best time to sow for a harvest today was when? Yesterday. The next best time to start sowing is today. The last best time to start sowing is tomorrow. If you haven't sown in the past and there's regret and shame and guilt and all that sort of stuff, you need to let go of that and give it to God because shame and all those things will abort the the, the blessing and the fruitfulness that God wants to bring into your today. Hand the past to God and say, as of this day, I'm going to sow for my harvest tomorrow. As of this day, I'm going to sow into the things of the Spirit. God says, sow first and then let me take care of the harvest. And reaping a harvest is conditional upon not losing heart. 
Paul said, you will reap a harvest if, if is a conditional word. He didn't say you'll reap a harvest and that's where it stopped. He said, you will reap if you don't lose heart. If you don't give up. How many of us know anyone can start well in life. Anyone can start a church. Any, anyone can start. It doesn't mean it's going to go well, but you can start it. I remember being at the start line of the Iron Man. Everyone was so happy. Everyone's slapping each other on the back, like, "Oh, it's going to be a great day," and you know, have a great race. And everyone's doing thumbs up, and and everyone's so happy, right? Well, at the 25-kilometer mark of the marathon, no one's happy, right? And if they were happy to me, I'd probably smack them in the mouth because I don't need happy right now. I, I, I need, you know, performance-enhancing substances. I need, I need help. I need anointing. I need Holy Ghost. I need something to get me to the finish line. I don't need, oh, it's going to be a great race. Anyone can start well in life. It, it, it isn't how you start something. It's, it's how you travel through the process and how you arrive at the finish line. And even now, high profile across the body of Christ, states all around the world. There are people who ran so well for so long and in the last half meter stumbled and their testimony has, has actually sort of taken away, their lack of testimony has taken away all the good that God has done in them in the past, not eternally, but publicly. I remember I was at my kids' cross-country race at school and it's so funny watching, um, you know, young primary school age kids run cross-country because they start a three-kilometer race like it's a 100-meter sprint. You seen it? And they get out of the gates and they're tearing up the hill and after 100 meters, you know, kids are fighting with water bottles and some kids just wandered off and collapsed on the side of the course and some other kids picking his nose just walking and, 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 and I'm, all the parents are like screaming at their kids like, what, we, what imbecile have I brought into this world? And, 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 and we're getting mad at our kids. Would you please just run? That's the purpose of this. And as I'm watching this unfold, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says immaturity travels at an unsustainable pace and many of us because of our immaturity and we all have it no matter whether you've got pastor before your name or not we 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 run at such a pace that we don't realize it's not how you well you start it's how you process it's how you journey and it's how you finish Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 7 I fought the good fight I finished the race I've kept the faith. And I don't know about you, but I want that to be the testimony of my life. I want it to be, and I think God wants it to be the testimony of your life and of this house. And one of the most inspiring stories that I heard in regards to this was a true story that happened at the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. John Aquari from Tanzania was a favorite to win the marathon. And uh, the day the marathon came, he was in the lead pack and at the 10 to 12 kilometer mark, there was some pushing and shoving. He fell, he stumbled, he hit his elbow and leg, his knee, on the side of the curb. And uh, he tried to get up to run and could not keep up pace with the rest of the pack. He'd hurt himself. All the runners of the entire uh, marathon race ran past him, the media crew. Everyone went past him. Everyone concluded, he's done, he's going to opt to go out because he's injured. Well, an hour after all the other runners had finished the race, ran into the uh, grandstand at the Olympic Games and had finished the race, 
there was probably, they, the reports say, about a few thousand people left in the stadium. And John Aquari had not stopped running. He'd actually kept running. And there was a, a lone motorbike with a light on the front as it was getting on dusk, came, came, uh, drove into the stadium, and John Aquari's running behind this motorbike. He'd kept running. The few thousand people ran to the finish line, and this man did his final lap, and everyone's clapping and cheering as he hobbled across the line. And as he hobbled across the line and finished, a reporter came up to him and said, why did you keep on running? You didn't need to. Everyone expected, we thought that you were injured and that you stopped. Why did you keep on running? And John Aquari said, my country did not send me to Mexico to start the race. My country sent me here to finish it. And I'm telling you today that the Spirit of God has sent me here to tell you that He did not save you. He did not call you. He did not gift you. Nothing you earned. For you to simply start something and when it doesn't feel good, feel right, just walk away. He, he called you to, to not just start, but to fight the good fight. He, he called you not just even to fight the good fight, but He called you to keep the faith. He not only called you to keep the faith, He called you to finish the race. Not out of guilt, not out of you better because I've done all of this for me, but out of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. you got more in you than what you think. You've got more power, more grace, more anointing, more love, more of the Holy Spirit, more world-changing, earth-shattering capacity in you than you think. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit of God is in you. And God is coming to this house and He's coming to you and He's saying, it's time to continue. The good work that He has begun in you, He will bring through to completion if you just continue. Just keep persisting. Just keep persevering. The future harvest and success of this church, of your lives in the coming years, will not be because of how clever you are. Although you are clever and God's given you great leaders with insight, great ideas. That that won't be what it is. It'll be simply because you obeyed a commission. And you turned up every day and you turned up every week and you just kept obeying and you just kept obeying and you just kept persisting and you just kept giving and you just kept serving and you just kept loving and you just kept worshiping and you just kept praying and you kept inviting and you kept making disciples and you kept turning up to living rooms and you kept doing what God has asked you to do. And then you wake up one day and go, how did we get here? How did this happen? How come this is going on in our lives? I tell you why, it's because of the power to continue. So I want to invite you to stand on your feet with me right now. And if you're here and you say, you know what? Um, This word is for me. And I guess we could say, well, it's for all of us because we've all felt like giving up at some point. But if you're here and say, you know what? Right now, in this season of my life, in this time of my life, in God's calendar in my life, I needed to hear this. I need the anointing of persistence, the fruit and character trait of persistence. I need the power to continue. It's not just something that is conferred on you. It's a character quality that's developed in you. And if you're facing resistance and you're facing some trials, some tribulations, God's not mad with you. God's not angry with you. Sometimes we do bring things upon ourselves, but He's not mad with you. He loves you. 
It's His loving kindness that leads us to repentance, not His anger. What He wants to do in your life tonight is He wants to take this Word, apply it to your heart, fill you with His Spirit, fill you with His love and say, keep going, keep continuing. Why? Because if you don't lose heart, you're going to reap. So if you're here and you say, you know what, this is for me, I just want to invite you, just raise your hand wherever you are. You don't, you don't need to come out the front for this because God sees you right where you are. God knows exactly. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your honesty. God sees you. God is speaking into your heart, speaking into your life, and you can just put your hand back down right now. Father, let's just lift our voices and hearts as I pray. And thank Jesus for this word tonight. Father, right now in Jesus' name, God, I pray and I I thank you for being faithful to your word. You said your word shall not return to you void, but it shall accomplish what you send it out to perform. And Father, right now in this room, right now in this place and in this house, there are people that are facing resistance, facing trials, facing tribulations, facing all sorts of doubt, maybe experiencing condemnation because of the regrets of the past or there's excuses because of the pain of the past. And right now in the Name of Jesus, I just pray, would you do a supernatural, miraculous work in their hearts, in their minds and in their bodies through this this word tonight in Jesus name set people free set people free from the pain of the past heal broken hearts bring people into a place of new faith new expectation a, a, a new seed of your spirit a new seed of your word planted in the soil of their hearts today and father i pray would you baptize this church in the power to continue. Would you anoint every heart, every person, every marriage, every family with the power to continue? Would you help us to cultivate a spirit and an attitude of persistence no matter what we face in our life? Because God, you've got a due season for us. You've got a due season for us individually, a due season for us corporately. And God, we come to you tonight. And we say, God, we want to walk into our due season. We want to walk into the fullness of the harvest that You have for us. If You hadn't had it for us, You wouldn't have promised it to us. But You've got a land of promise, a land of milk and honey for every single one of us. God, we know that's not a destination. We know it's a journey. And tonight, Father, I'm asking, would you fill us? Would you equip us through this Word? Would you heal our hearts of all the things? Would you help us to remove the blockages and the obstacles to the rivers of living water flowing into our lives and through our lives into others? In Jesus' precious name, I pray today for the power to continue.